The scripture reading is from 9, Ecclesiastes 9, 1 through 12. It's called Death Comes to All. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know, both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and to the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white, let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Can y'all hear me now? Woo! Good morning. Give us one second. We're going to sort that out. Good morning. Test one, two, three. Test. Just give me the green light when I'm ready. Good? All right. Good morning. Thank y'all for joining us. I know it's a strange thing to drive your car up into a wedding venue and sit in your car the entire time, but I'm certainly glad that you did it. If you're new here, my name is Jared Huff, and I'm on staff here at Restoration Southside, and we are so glad that you're here, and we look forward to a day when we can get back together inside of this building, but until now, this will have to do. So we're continuing our study of Ecclesiastes, and Ecclesiastes can feel like a bummer. Aaron said, is there anything kind of different or new in this portion of Ecclesiastes? And I was like, no, it's pretty much you're all going to die. And so you might as well enjoy yourselves. And it keeps coming back to that theme over and over and again. He wants us to live our lives in light of our death. Live our lives in light of our death. 
And that's what he's calling us to do this morning. So just three points, and we'll hit him quickly. I know you're warm. Three points. So the certainty of your death, the uncertainty of everything else, and what you should do in light of that. The certainty of your death, the uncertainty of everything else, and what you should do in light of that. Would you pray with me and ask God to bless our study of his word this morning? Father God in heaven, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I thank you and I praise you for these people that would come and sit in their cars in the heat because they want to be near you. They want to be near each other. I pray that you'll minister your word by your Holy Spirit, that you'll help us to live in light of our death. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Harvard's most famous class in history, in 2006, Dr. Tal Ben-Shahar taught a class on how to be happy. And the class filled up so quickly, and was recorded, and people wanted to get their hands on it so badly that he turned it into a book. This is Harvard, so he's telling the brightest and the best how to be happy. What do you think he said? You say, go have fun, go enjoy yourselves, go do whatever you want. You say, go be conservative, save up, invest. He said, you have to take the future and the present and hold them together. This is what his basic philosophy was. When you learn how to live for today and for tomorrow at the same time, you learn how to balance your immediate personal needs with long-term goals. And enjoy your life as you never have before. I'll say that again. He says, when you learn how to live for today and for tomorrow at the same time, you learn how to balance your immediate personal needs with your long-term goals and enjoy your life as you never have before. See, it's this balancing act of enjoying what I have now, but thinking about the future. That's what the best and the brightest would tell us of how to be happy, how to enjoy our life. But that is not what the author of Ecclesiastes says. He says, you have to live in the present because you don't know what's coming tomorrow. You can't make big plans. You can't save up. You can't invest. What if you're not going to be around to have it? He says, you have to live in light of your death. It's not a balancing act of personal, immediate needs versus future needs. It's living today. In light of your death. And that's what he's talking about here. So let's first look at those verses. This is verse 1. He says, But all this I laid to my heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It's the same for all. Since the same event happens to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and to the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is the same one who shuns an oath. It's this sort of bleak perspective that whether you're good or whether you're bad, whether you sacrifice or whether you don't make sacrifices, whether you live sort of this profane life or whether you live a faithful life, death is coming to you. 
He's sort of grabbing us by the shoulders and shaking us and saying, don't delude yourselves into thinking that any one of us can escape death. And he said, but once you acknowledge the fact that you cannot escape death, things get more simple. What matters becomes more clear. One of the commentators wrote this. He wrote this book to smash into tiny pieces our idea that we can be like God. We can aspire to have it all, know it all, achieve it all, be happy forever, have all the answers, never be left scratching our head, and be remembered for all time. That's what we hope for. But what guarantee is there that we won't go under a bus tomorrow? If you knew what would happen to you tomorrow, how would you live today? That's the whole point of Ecclesiastes. He's saying, what is certain? Your death and my death is certain. So sort of seize the day. Do not live in light of what it'll be like when you're 80 or 90. Live today in your relationships, in your marriage, in your work, in your friendships, in this culture. Live for today because that's all that you're promised. It's this constant focus on the present because we cannot control our death. I sat with a man on his deathbed and he was there. His brother had come with me. We were going to spend time with the man we didn't know how much more time he had left. And the two of them were in a quiet conflict. But the brother who was there visiting his dying brother didn't want him to have to worry about all that. He didn't want him to bother him. He's dying. It doesn't matter. I can let it go. But the brother who's laying there on his deathbed said, No, we have to talk about this. We have to talk about this right now. And the brother who was standing there with me said, hey, bud, it's, it's okay. Just don't, don't, even, don't even sweat it. Don't worry about it. As if to say, it, it doesn't matter that much. The man laying in his deathbed insisted, and he said, no, I'm sorry, and you have to forgive me, and you have to forgive me now. I don't know how much time I have left. You see, when death is imminent, everything matters. It's not that nothing matters. It's that everything matters. My wife, Erin, is calling me. I would imagine that's Connor or Cohen. Everything matters in light of death. What are the changes you would make to your life now that you know death is coming? The writer to the Ecclesiastes says, go and make them. Because you don't know anything certain but death. It's been said that a pastor's job is to help people die well. Because ultimately, we're all living in light of our own deaths. So what is certain? Each one of us are going to die. So we should live in the present faithfully to what we've been called to with the six inches in front of our face. And what is uncertain? He says it in verse 11. Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor the bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor those with knowledge. But time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of men are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. What he's saying is, is that the good guys don't always win. 
The strong guys don't always win. The smart people don't always end up with the most. I'm sure some of you have had bosses. Hello, there we go. Some of you have had bosses who you've thought about your boss. I have no idea how you got this job. You can't say it to them, but you've thought that about your boss. Things aren't predictable. Power and wealth and education, it's not predictable. Everything else is uncertain. Speed, provision, wisdom, wealth. He's basically saying those are things you can't guarantee. You can't guarantee those things because you're not in control of them. You don't know your time. So he's saying live in light of your death because that's the only thing you're certain of. You're uncertain about every other single thing. And he says, so what now? Enjoy your life. Enjoy your life. Go and do it. Here's where he says it in the text. Verse 7, go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments always be white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that God has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and your toil at which you toil. Whatever your hand finds to do, Do it with all your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. His point is is to live joyfully in the present. Live joyfully in the present. Live a full life now because death is certain and you don't know when it's coming and nothing else is certain. Speed, power, wealth, education, none of that is certain. But he's saying, so be faithful to live your life now. Go and do it. He actually says God takes pleasure in your simple pleasures. God takes pleasure in your simple pleasures, Gibson says. The point of Ecclesiastes, the point of this text, is that life is about being grateful for a gift. Life is not about gain. Life is being grateful for a gift. It's not about gain. He says, in your marriage, be present, be loving, be kind, pour yourself into your spouse. That's the work. To love your children well, to get good at your job and to do it faithfully in an ordinary life. That's what he calls us to. But if you're like me, we get lost in this colossal idea that we can just keep running and our our fame will grow and our money will grow and our reputation will grow. And he says, that's not what life is about. I'm going to tell you something here, and I want you to hear me, and I don't want you to sit there and pity me in your car. Do not pity me, because I'm reckoning with what the Scripture is clearly teaching here. But in a hundred years, no one will know who Jared Huffman is. No one will know who Jared Huffman is. No one will remember that I was a joyful dad or a generous husband. No one will listen to my sermons, even this one. No one will highlight my strengths or downplay my weaknesses. No one will look at my belongings in awe. 
No one will speak tenderly of my presence. No one will consider the size of this church, nor even associate my name with this church. No one will still be wrestling with the insight and wisdom that I've given them. No one will remember my insight or my empathy. I can grieve this, or resent this, or rage against this, but it won't change. In a hundred years, no one will remember who I was. So what now? If my possessions and my accomplishments and my insight or legacy will be forgotten, what is the point of living? And if you're like me, when you're confronted with your death, when you're confronted with the things beyond your control, when you realize that no one will remember you, you start to think, then what's the purpose? The purpose is to be faithful in the ordinary, to throw ourselves into what God has put six inches in front of our face. Zach Eswine says, Eden was our purpose. Eden was our purpose. Trying to bust out of it remains our constant downfall. Eswine goes on to say this, the grace of his wisdom teaches us to give ourselves to our work, food, marriage, family, because these things are what God gave for human flourishing. Work, food, marriage, family, even cleaning ourselves up, these are what gave for human flourishing. So friends, what is certain? Our certainty, the certain thing in our life is death, and we don't know when it's going to be. What is uncertain? Everything else. And I say that to you speaking to a parking lot during a pandemic. Everything else is uncertain. And so what are we called to do? Live in light of our deaths. Faithful, consistent, ordinary lives. Takes us to Jesus. Jesus who spent time with his friends Jesus who cooked with them and ate with them. Jesus who spent time with his father. Jesus who went for walks. He had this colossal thing to do. And he made his way doing it there. An entirely ordinary existence with 12 friends. We can still have a meaningful life. Even if it's ordinary. Let's pray. Father, we, we buck up against the idea that we're not in control. We want to be in control. But we acknowledge to you that we don't know when we'll die. And we acknowledge to you that we don't have power or control over much else. We ask that you would help us to live ordinary, faithful lives of work and love, family, and friends, that we wouldn't get lost in the things that we cannot control. I ask for each one of us during this pandemic to reevaluate, to focus on what matters in light of our death, and to pour ourselves into that. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
Friends, let's close our time by singing one more song.